Welcome to Brothers Watching Disney Podcast. My name's Jeremy. And I'm Matt. We are two brothers that love watching Disney movies. All right, we are back. Brothers Watching Disney, episode six. And we are diving into the package films. All right, so uh, these two films that we're talking about today uh, are a bit of a new experience for me. Same. Because out of the Disney animated canon, uh, Snow White through uh, Frozen 2 at this point, there are only six movies that I had not seen. And two of them we are talking about today. Ah, you got me by a little bit. My, uh, my number was 10. 10, not bad. Yeah, the package films are really interesting because with these first two aside, really, um, they were not necessarily planned. It was just kind of when World War II broke out, they all of a sudden were like, we want to put out movies still. So let's take these smaller projects and let's combine them together into feature films. So that's why they're packages. They're packages of smaller shorts. The ones that we're covering today have a little more of a structure and a little more of a story to them. Uh, but that's because of the fact that they had a stronger purpose. To, to put it in short, these movies uh, were made to fight the Nazis. <laughs> not exactly. Not exactly accurate. But uh, no, I'll let you uh, go into detail on that. Now, the way that the project that would eventually become Saludos Amigos uh, came about was... You know, in the late 30s, early 40s, some of the Latin American countries were being uh, sort of courted by the Nazi government. So there was a lot of pro-Nazi sentiment going on in South and Central America. So as an attempt to sort of counteract this, President Roosevelt enacted what he called the good neighbor policy. Uh, where he specifically set out to build better relationships with the Latin American countries. He even appointed Nelson Rockefeller to oversee the Office of Inter-American Affairs. And it was Nelson Rockefeller that approached uh, a number of industry leaders and other dignitaries about going down to Latin America on a goodwill tour. You probably see where I'm going here. Walt Disney was one of those industry leaders because his characters were so popular in Latin America. And at first, Walt was hesitant. He didn't want to leave his studio at the time. But Roy encouraged him because he knew that it would be good for Walt to just step away for a little bit. And so Walt started planning the trip. Uh, the trip itself was funded by the State Department. And because they wanted Walt to use the experiences that he gained on this trip to create a film to sort of showcase the Latin American cultures to the American public. The film itself was underwritten by the federal government, meaning that if uh, the film was released at a loss and it did not make back its production cost, that the federal government would reimburse Walt for that money. And I believe they actually uh, gave him grant money up front in order to put the film into production. But Saludos Amigos actually uh, did fairly well. It brought in um, over a million dollars at the box office. Uh, so Walt was able to uh, not only repay that grant money, uh, but to fund Three Caballeros as well. And then, of course, one other aspect that we haven't talked about yet is the timing of the trip was actually a good time for Walt to step away. Also in 
1941, during the production of Dumbo, actually, uh, there were uh, labor tensions at the studio. The Screen Cartoonist Guild was trying to unionize the Disney studio. Uh, Long-term animators like Art Babbitt and Bill Teitla were very much in favor of this. Walt himself thought that it wasn't necessary because he had a very family-oriented studio. And it came down to a strike. Uh, I don't want to go into all the details on the strike. Uh, If you want to know more about that, I would suggest... Todd James Pierce uh, does two episodes about the Disney strike on the Disney History Institute podcast uh, as part of the series on the life and times of Ward Kimball. So it's from an animator that did not necessarily participate in the strike. But because of the strike, that was a good time for Walt to step away so that the tensions around the studio could sort of lessen And then the National Labor Relations Board came in and negotiated the settlement to the strike while Walt was away. So obviously for Walt Disney, I mean, there was a lot of perks to this. You know, you get to do this tour of Latin America paid for by the government. And, you know, the reason that the government reached out to Disney in the first place is because the Disney characters were so popular in Latin America. And there's actually a third movie that we're going to be going in and out of as we're coming here, because there was a documentary based on this uh, called Walt and El Grupo. Uh, And it talked a lot about how excited uh, the people of Brazil, Argentina, Chile, um, all those places were excited to see Disney and, and his crew come in. And they just loved to spend time with him and hang out with the group. Oh, and I I really enjoyed uh, Walt and El Grupo. Because there were a few individuals in the film who were interviewed. Uh, The film was just produced, what, maybe 10 years ago? Yeah, 12 years ago. And, you know, so some of those people were still, you know, if they were children, you know, they're 65, 70, 75 years old now. So they're still around. And so there was actually some discussion with people who, with some of the kids that actually met Walt and and El Grupo. So to to hop into the actual films itself we'll start with saludos amigos i really really like the care that was brought towards latin american culture oh yeah to the point where it actually changed opinions stateside most people when they think of the latin american countries they didn't see them as these urban cities and so with saludos amigos showing these wonderful shots these aerial shots of the cities and how urban and industrial everything looked it really surprised people Uh, i guess they thought that all latin america was was a bunch of gauchos sitting around but disney helped change the perception of that and improved the relations uh, between those countries and ours you know not only during the war but even after that as well oh yeah and um one of the characters that was, you know, created for this movie, introduced in this movie, Jose Carioca, he is very much a beloved character in Brazil. He is he's more popular in Brazil than some of the what we consider the the mainline Disney characters. You know, he's he's up there with Donald Duck. He has his own comic book down there. Yeah, and uh, and Jose was 
was voiced by a Brazilian actor, which was great. So then you also had that that real authenticity to him. I think that's what helped um, make him so likable to the cultures because he felt real mm-hmm. to them. He felt like a real Brazilian. Well, in a lot of ways, he was. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was fun for me because watching these movies, I put the subtitles on just because, you know, in case I need to keep the volume down for whatever reason, I'm still able to kind of keep up. And they're showing, you know, whenever he's talking and he's just firing off Portuguese and it shows it to me. I know if I could like download the script and translate it and see the things that he talks about, which was really funny when he first meets Donald. And I know we've skipped way ahead now all of a sudden. We're on the last segment of the movie, but you know, he's talking and getting really excited with Donald and he's going in Portuguese like crazy. And then Donald's like flipping through all the books, trying to keep up with him. And then he goes, or as you say in English, and all of a sudden switches into English. I thought that was just such a fun way to introduce his character as someone who's just, you know, unabashedly Brazilian and very proud of who he is. Oh, yeah. And that continues. That continues on uh, when we get to the other movie, when they uh, introduce another character and he's just really proud of himself as well. Uh, Proud of himself and proud of his uh, heritage and his culture. Yes. So our first segment, um, which is titled Lake Titicaca, was basically like... It reminded me of uh, the Rowan Atkinson stand-up bits. Not his stand-up, so one of his comedy bits. I think it's called um, How to Date, where you've got the very straight-laced narrator, and then what's happening on screen actually goes against what he's saying in comedic ways. Like, I remember he was saying, like, you know, these boats are indestructible, and then Donald pulls one of the threads, and then you know tears it apart it was just really funny setup and then reversal that led to the comedy of that first segment and what's funny is i have something very similar in my notes but it's i'm not pointing to uh rowan atkinson i'm pointing to their series of uh goofy shorts from right around the same time period pinto kolvik who is the initial voice of goofy had left the, uh, the Disney studios for a little bit in the late 30s and early 40s. And so they were trying to do Goofy shorts where they weren't having Goofy himself speak. Or they just got archive footage and a sound alike. And so they they started these Goofy how-to shorts. Uh, the first one being how to play baseball. Oh, yeah. And you know, very much the same thing. Even the same narrator that we were having in these shorts, Fred Shields, also did the voiceovers for the... Goofy how-to shorts. Uh, And then, of course, later we move into the Goofy Everyman shorts, which have a a similar sort of feel. That's that's interesting. Good. Uh, I I didn't think about that. Uh, And I didn't even think about the fact that Pinto had left the studio because here he is back in the movie. So by the time that we've done this, Pinto does come back as uh, Goofy in the third segment, El Gaucho Goofy, where he's playing a cowboy and he learns all about, you know, what it is to to be a gaucho mm-hmm. in Argentinian pampas. Um, the one joke. All right, so I'm jumping back to the first segment. The one joke that I really thought was clever and fun was the joke on the bridge where the planks are falling down and Donald is just grabbing whatever planks he can and shoving them under the llama and helping them like kind of move across. And then obviously he gets himself confused. He gets too far ahead. He gets too far ahead, then he gets too far behind. 
all in all, it was a good, strong segment of some decent jokes. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it's definitely a precursor to you know, other things that we see the studio move into. I did not know that the, the heritage of those type of gags stretched back this far. Right. So the next segment is called Pedro, and it's about a little airplane with uh, Chili. No speaking characters during this. It's all narrator. Mm-hmm. Frank Shields again? Yes, that was him. But it was it was a cute little short. The one thing I have to note is that there was a cartoonist, Rene Rios Bodiger, who is known as Peppa. I hope that's how I pronounce it. I apologize if I didn't say it correctly. He was actually mad. Well, not mad. I would say he was disappointed with how, you know, Pedro, the airplane, was kind of now representing Chile. So he actually created his own character that he was like, this represents Chile. And that was Condorito. Mm -hmm. And now Condorito is one of the most iconic characters in Chilean uh, cartoons. You know, basically, I don't know uh, to the full extent, but... You know, if, I feel like for us, it would be on the same level of, of popularity as perhaps Charlie Brown or Garfield. They instantly stand out in your mind as a comic character. Mm-hmm. With the actual segment itself, there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, you know, it's a, a simple, cute story. You know, he's the son of the mail carrier. I did like the joke about the father was a large male plane and the mother was a medium female plane. Yeah, it took me a second to get that. I was like, why are we pointing out that? Oh, because male and female. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so it was, it was interesting. You know, he gets into his little antics and things like that, but it's just a simple, short, little story, you know? Mm -hmm. Although Disney and um, Pixar would revisit the idea of anthropomorphic planes about 70 years later in the aptly titled Planes. Planes. Right, right. That was in Disney Toon Studios, right? I I think you're right. Uh, third segment is El Gaucho Goofy, which we had already talked about. Kind of an educational thing, but still playful with that idea. You know, they have Goofy now, and it's kind of like those Goofy shorts. Mm-hmm. You know, because so he's trying to tame the horse. You're going to be able to tame the horse with the use of the that one pole. I can't remember the name of it. But then it all shows that he's been he's been wrapped up by it, and the horse is still running free. And then there's the sequence where he's got the, the meat and the bread in one hand and he's flipping it with a knife and then he ends up eating the knife. Yeah, just little sight gags. Mm-hmm. The one thing that it does really, really well is it helps connect the viewer to the names of the items of clothing or the things related to the gauchos. So, you know, whenever they it says like, oh, instead of chaps, he has this. Mm-hmm. Instead of boots, he has this. It lets you know what all those words are, tells you what they call their horse. Very much meant to be educational at the same time as being kind of silly. That's sort of the, the vein of the whole picture is they're, you know, they're trying to educate the viewers on South American culture. And so it, this was just another avenue for that. Right. Yeah, I agree. You know, covering in the documentary, you really see how... Disney and the group, El Grupo, as they call themselves, how they went to each city with the idea of like, we want to find out what life is like here. We want to find out the culture. 
we want to know all these different things. I know that when they went to Argentina, they invited local dancers to come and teach them traditional dances. Mm-hmm. So then not only do they know the dances, but they could incorporate it into these different shorts. Exactly. And uh, we haven't really spoken about the music, mostly because I don't think we get to... I think the first real piece of music is the uh, is it Aqualero de Brazil, which is the next segment. Yes, the final segment. We talked about Jose Carioca a little bit already, but uh, we can move on to Aqualeros if you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of my, my first impressions from the Aqualeros de Brazil, uh, you remember the, the, the duck amuck Daffy Duck short from back in the 50s? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It has a very similar vibe to that to me, where there's sort of the, the interplay between the artist and the characters on screen. Yeah, I can see that. Again, pointing out, Disney got here first. <laughs> I think it was really, it was fun to have the beginning portion, which was, again, that artist, the person was doing the watercolors, because Aqualera do Brasil means watercolor of Brazil. Very famous song actually, Mm -hmm. that they used. And then Donald Duck gets involved. Jose is made up. And then, you know, when he comes on the scene, everything kind of changes because then Jose is like, all right, now I'm going to show you, you know, all the great things about Brazil, which includes uh, drinking some hard liquor, (laughs) the cachaça. Quality family entertainment. (laughs) And then there's the samba dancing, which was, that was super fun. You know, I I like to play music and, you know, enjoy interesting types of music. And just the way the samba was set up, like he, you know, one part of his body would start moving and another part would start moving and he would just layer these rhythms on top of each other. You know, because a samba can really be a percussion-led style of music because it's meant to give people a beat and a rhythm to be able to dance. Mm-hmm. And, and these segments just show, you know, how very important uh, both music and dance are to Latin American culture. That's something that is very ingrained, even to this day. Absolutely. Totally agree. So overall, you know, Saludos was a fun piece. It's kind of nice that this was the first one that led into the era of the package films because it's very palatable. Like I said, it's all strung together. The overarching narrative is El Grupo's trip and it shows them in different locations and it shows animators, you know, drawing the scenes and then it leads right into the cartoons. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a very, very successful piece. Uh, we briefly mentioned in Dumbo that Saludos Amigos is the shortest of the Disney animated features. We're clocking in at 42 minutes. Uh, which is uh, shorter than the next shortest, uh, which is Dumbo, by a good 20 minutes. Though, like we said in Dumbo, that's the shortest single narrative. Whereas this one, as a package film, it is a bunch of smaller pieces tied together. Exactly. And speaking of smaller pieces tied together, you ready to move on to Three Caballeros? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, This one also has a very, I don't want to say thin overarching narrative uh but this one is all tied together based on donald celebrating his birthday and getting birthday gifts from uh, his friends in latin america and we start with the story of pablo the penguin narrated by disney legend sterling holloway before winnie the pooh days at this point all we know him for is the stork from dumbo 
Exactly. But he's here he's uh, Professor Holloway, so they just tacked a professor on, and he has a very <laughs> academic-sounding voice, even though, you know, us sitting here in 2020, we hear Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sterling Holloway's narration of this is very similar to the narration in Pedro, where he's almost interacting a little more. But the fun thing is that most of the time he kind of interacts with almost this just ambivalence. Like you said, that academic type voice where it's more just he just kind of observing from afar. You know, like he's just kind of talking about the going away party where he's like, well, now the going away party is down to two. You know, (laughs) we haven't even talked about what this what the story of this is. So Pablo is Penguin, who is cold so he wants to travel to the galapagos islands and so he figures out a way to through many hijinks he gets himself to the galapagos islands on a, on a sheet of ice in fact and that you know he gets a little tour of at least the the coast of south america we hear uh, we hear a little bit about chile and we hear about um is it quito ecuador mm-hmm. and a few other little spots as he's going up and uh, also talks about lima hmm Lima, Peru. That was the other one. I couldn't think of it. So after we talk about Pablo, then we're looking at kind of goes through different types of birds that are found in Latin America. Because this this first part, um, because, again, we're themed to uh, Donald's birthday gifts. And the first gift was a screen projector with the uh, projecting a film called uh, Aves Raras, which translates to, is it strange birds? Yeah, or rare birds. Well, rare birds is the... The literal, I think they used strange or weird in the movie, but it's a, is that in Portuguese or is that Spanish? That's one interesting piece that we come to with this movie. And I'll, I'll probably will say it again at a later point when it makes more sense, but it's actually, you're, we're doing three languages through the entire movie, mm-hmm. but yeah. So, so Donald is watching the, the, the documentary and the first segment of the documentary is where we see Pedro. Uh, and then we see several other little birds, including the Araquan bird, who gets his name from the unusual song that he sings, bopping around the screen and appearing from random places all around the scene and including the the edge of the frame. Yeah, basically he comes in and from the point that he's introduced, he proceeds to annoy the group through the rest of the movie. He just kind of pops in and out every now and again just to just to go after them. The segue from the uh, the rare birds that goes into the flying gauchito, uh, which is a short about a young gaucho. Uh, this one is a silent character who, again, has that sort of interaction with the narrator, uh, who in this case is, again, Fred Shields, who is the adult uh, who is remembering this story from his childhood. Uh, and the little gauchito goes looking for a condor and ends up finding a donkey with wings. Or a burrito. Which is, of course, Spanish for little donkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not your Chipotle order. <laughs> the more you learn. And, and so, um, Flying Gauchito, I, I don't have much to say about it. It's, you know, again, it's an, an one of those fun little stories. This one, there's definitely interaction between uh, the narrator and the characters on screen, which is, you know, especially weird considering that it's... He's time traveling. <laughs> the narrator is the adult talking to his child self. Yes. Like the gauchito leaves the little knife and the narrator says, ah, gauchito, the knife. Mm-hmm. So after the flying gauchito section, we then go on to the next present, 
which the next present is a book given to Donald. And who gave him that book? Our old friend Jose Carioca, who has now reappeared into the story. Same actor, same great energy. And he wants to show Donald a little more around Brazil, specifically the, the state, because Brazil does have states, the state of Bahia, which there's that whole fun song where it's like, have you ever been to Bahia? And Donald's like, no. It's like, well, let's go. And then they, he, he kind of goes on for a little bit. And then Donald's like, have you been to Bahia? <laughs> and he's like, no, well, let's go. So they shrink down and then they go into the book and they end up meeting with uh, Yaya, the cookie seller, mm-hmm. which is played by a live action woman, Aurora Miranda. Who is the sister of Carmen Miranda. Yes. What's really neat about this one is this is essentially a precursor to what we would see in Mary Poppins with the live action actor interacting with cartoon characters on a cartoon space. Mm -hmm. And that it makes it really interesting that they're able to, you know, Jose and Donald are able to circle her because, you know, she's green screened. And so they're able to kind of make it look like they're in front of her, make it look like they're behind her all those different things. Mm-hmm. But, and then of course they got the little dance number and then there's a whole bunch of other guys that come in. I really thought uh, at the segment where the two guys were acting like it was going to fight, I thought we were going to see some uh, capoeira. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really interesting piece too, because they transformed from live action actors into cartoon and then back, you know, and obviously they did that with the lighting. They used that, strong backlight without a key light to be able to make them be able to go fully into being the cartoon characters. But yeah, that was really interesting to be able to, to, to just make that transition as someone who, who's never seen this movie before. It's just really amazing to see what Disney was doing with animation in the 1940s mm-hmm. and, and blending in visual effects techniques and maybe even pioneering some of these visual effects techniques way back when. Oh, yeah. And actually, um, Disney got his uh, some of the very original uh, Disney productions. Even before Mickey, uh, he was doing uh, what was called the Alice comedies, where he had uh, a live action little girl interacting with uh, animated characters. And that's actually where, uh, not that he shows up in any of this movie, but that's where uh, Pete came from. Pete predates... Mickey Mouse. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, I found that on a uh, shout out to Dave Lee down under and his uh, cartoon evolutions. Nice, 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 nice. So once they get out of the book, then they want to open the other present. But in order to get into the book, they had to shrink down. And now they have to use black magic, magic. <laughs> to be able to get themselves back to normal size. So once they use the black magic and they get themselves back to normal size are now we are now introduced to the actual third caballero we can actually make the title work 35 minutes into the movie or something <laughs> like that uh so we have we meet up with panchito pistoles i don't think they ever give his quote unquote last name in the film i know that's the name that they have eventually Gave to them. It was them trying to be cute with Spanglish because, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted to make it sound like pistols. Uh, I know the pistolas is the actual term. And then fun fact, they recently got a new show. There's like a Legend of the Three Caballeros. Mm-hmm. That's a recent show. His name has now been changed to uh, Panchito Gonzalez. Yeah, they actually changed that. 
I always go down some sort of rabbit hole, it seems. And on this one, it was on sort of the uh, the history of these three characters. Let me see if I can find out Panchito's full name, because they actually have... Oh, yes. I remember seeing that. I'm going to race you to it now. Panchito Romero Miguel Junipero Francisco Quitero Gonzalez III. Mm-hmm. Uh, that name came up on... They did an appearance on House of Mouse... The cartoon show in that was the late 90s right or maybe early 2000s yes early 2000s you're right yeah yeah yeah. that's what it was uh fun fact uh, jose in that appearance was voiced by rob paulson who's a you know fairly big voice actor Raphael from the original teenage mutant ninja turtles pinky from pinky in the brain in animaniacs he was yakko warner yes yakko and then he did donatello in another version of the ninja turtle so now I saw his TED talk and he introduces himself as half the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's another little rabbit trail for us. So the original voice actor for Panchito was a Mexican-American voice actor named Joaquin Garay. And I believe every actor uh, since then uh, has been, let's see, in the uh, Legend of the Three Caballeros, um, it was Jaime Camille, who is Brazilian-Mexican, so he uh, covered both. And you have uh, Carlos Alas Raqui, which is uh, the voice of Rocco in Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, wow. And then Arturo Del Puerto uh, voiced him on uh, the, the DuckTales reboot. Okay, so we've covered all that stuff. <laughs> So I think we've so, talked enough about. We've talked. We, we've talked, and, and maybe maybe it'll stay. Maybe it won't. I don't know. We'll, but we'll, we'll see how I feel when I'm editing. Yeah. So anyway, rabbit trail aside on that, Panchito is a Mexican rooster. He's got the sombrero. He's got the dual pistols, and he's just this really excitable personality. And when he comes out, they sing the Three Caballeros song, which brought back some memories for me. Like I've already said, I haven't watched either of these movies before, but I've seen the Three Caballeros song. I immediately remembered it, and it must have been like... It was one of those uh, Disney sing-along... Sing-alongs, yeah, the Disney sing-alongs. So I remember that specifically because there was the part where Panchito is holding out the really long note, and then Donald and Jose are trying to stop him, you know, pour water on him or all kinds of other weird stuff. So that was uh, that was really cool. Uh, we haven't mentioned this yet uh, on this movie. Uh, we may have touched on some of the... Well, I know we touched on the music in Saludos Amigos. But most of the music that was uh, included in, uh, especially this film, uh, was uh, music from the source culture that they are discussing. For example, when Panchito first comes out, he's singing a song called I Jalisco No Terrajes, which... They wrote new lyrics for, and that became the Three Caballeros song. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, at the end, you're talking about where uh, a Panchito is holding out that one long note. Uh, when he starts singing in Spanish, he's singing the, <laughs> the original words. Yes. I did notice that, um, again, subtitles was able to show me, oh, yeah, he's back to singing the original song. Mm -hmm. I find it funny. Did you find this funny that, you know, this is... Panchito's debut in the films. He'd been introduced in, like, they had a Sunday morning comic strip for Silly Symphonies. But this is his first on-screen appearance. And two minutes in, he's singing a song about he's inseparable 
from Donald and Jose. <laughs> I think it's such a weird thing that this entire movie with, you know, the little segments happen on their own spaces, but like the tying narrative that ties everything together is just in this like empty space. There are no walls, no anything. It's just this vast dark space that has like a single spotlight. It's so strange to me that they, they didn't put Donald in like a location. They just kind of said, yeah, he's here. He's in, I don't know, the netherworld or something. I just, it looks so weird. Award Kimball was actually the, I don't know if he animated this sequence or if he was the animated director, uh, but he was given no real direction. He just had a copy of the lyrics. So that's why you know, he did very literal interpretations. You know, like they're standing there in the rain and the rain comes into the hat and spills over. And then we have the, you know, turning Donald into a book. And there's a little, even a little thing that appears on his belly called, that says volume one. <laughs> Ward turned in the, the finished sequence. And he was so afraid that Walt was going to fire him for this nonsense. But Walt said, this is great. Don't change a thing. <laughs> Put it in the film. And so from here, and unfortunately, this is one bit of trivia that I did not get to find out about. Panchito reveals his gift to Donald, which is a pinata. Now, I did not, was not able to look up. I don't know if, because I know when we were growing up, pinatas were a thing. Like people would have pinatas at birthday parties. And, and I don't know if they had been introduced to the States before this, or if this is just sort of where... It, some element of the culture that crossed over from here. And I can hear you clicking, so I know you're looking. So when you have it, just tell me. I know it doesn't tell me enough. <laughs> okay. And they talk about how the, uh, the pinatas are very closely tied with Christmas. And so from here, Panchito uh, narrates the story of Las Posadas for us. This is a unique sequence because it's still images with the narration behind it. And the still images are just changed out at appropriate times. Uh, and these images are very much the work of a particular artist at the studio, Mary Blair. And Jeremy, I know you did um, a little bit of digging into Mary Blair. Why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Mary Blair? Yeah. So Mary Blair, who at this time was not really that well known, but she went on this trip. She actually like pitched to Walt, like originally Walt wasn't going to, he was going to just bring her husband Lee, but then she pitched that she should come too. And he was fine with it. And she got out there and it totally revolutionized her style to the point where she became one of the favorite colorists and artists uh, of Walt's and that she would go on to make her mark in a big way with one of the most popular, well-known attractions of Walt Disney. It's a small world. The entire style was done by Mary Blair. Uh, the mural in the front, Mary Blair. A couple of things that you and I know about. She, There's even a beautiful mural that Mary Blair did in the Contemporary Resort in Florida. Mm -hmm. And it's because of this trip that she embraced the style that has now become so synonymous with her. So after the Las Posadas segment, uh, Panchito then wants to show Donald and Jose around Mexico City. And so they get on their flying serape, which floored me when I saw it because I'm like, it's the magic carpet. It's like almost same animation cycles as the magic carpet from Disney's Aladdin. So they all get on the serape and we go into this huge segment that's basically the opposite of the part with Aurora Miranda is now it's 
the animated characters are interacting in the real world. Mm-hmm. And apparently the the concept of this is that Donald is a very lustful creature that is continually trying to meet up with these ladies and get some affection from them. Yeah, I'm I have this a little later in my notes, but I I do want to say that I am not a big fan of um uh, uh, what I labeled Weinstein Donald here. Yeah. <laughs> this is why this is why Daisy doesn't appear in the film. Right. This is this is when he was still single. It is interesting to to note again the that they have these animated characters, you know, interacting in a real world. Uh, something that we would see done masterfully in the 1980s with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm-hmm. But these effects aren't bad. You know, I, I definitely paid attention to see if they had to do any rotoscoping uh, to, like, make it look like the actors were in front of the animated figures, but they never did that. They did, however, do some fantastic practical effects of, like, where they were doing the trampoline piece, where they're throwing Donald in the air and making it look like he's actually in there. Uh, I thought that that was fantastic practical effects that they did to help make it really sell that Donald is interacting in a live-action environment. Oh, and they had uh, lots of really cool effects in the sequence. Like, I particularly like, this is one that I have, I really liked the effect of Jose playing the the real-life upright bass. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yes, that was a sweet effect. Mm-hmm. And I talked a little bit before about uh, how most of the music in this film is, they took regional songs and... They either wrote new lyrics or translated the real lyrics into English. Uh, the song that plays over this segment is the only original piece that was written for the movie. Cool, cool. They were just really fun segments. You know, you had the, obviously there was the beach scene with Weinstein Donald. <laughs> um, and then you had them going to the the dance party where there's the band playing. There's that really interesting uh, sequence a little bit later on where Donald is interacting with cactus and then one of the cactuses becomes a human and then they have a little dancing number and then when he tries to Weinstein her she becomes a cactus again which is always fun but I just thought it was it was a really uh, fun sequence I thought it got a little crazy towards the end when we were heading towards the finale it went all over the place for me but maybe it was because of the fact that I was watching it later at night or something I was like oh this is a lot to take in <laughs> Yeah, I'll agree. The last, like the, I don't want to say the back nine here, but these ending sequences were a little more interesting to get through. Uh, you had to, number one, you had to really be paying attention, but it was uh, sort of like a, almost into a Latin American fantasia. Sure. Where it's um, different animated effects set to music. Now, some of it I liked, like at the beginning there of um, when Panchito comes out, they do this... Um, thing where there's a it's a waveform on the screen but it's also a guitar yes yes i did see that it's mr soundtrack he came back <laughs> and then um sort of the last song of the film is uh you belong to my heart it was originally a song called solamente una vez uh, which translates to only one time uh you belong to my heart was completely new lyrics that were just rewritten over top of this music and then Bing Crosby <laughs> covered it. Yeah, I see that. Wow. Ooh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that you can, I don't know, maybe you'll fight me on this. I'm not sure. But you could almost argue that these two movies 
specifically Three Caballeros is technically the first Disney sequel movie uh, because it's the same characters and kind of a continuing storyline uh, for some pieces. I can see that. It's obviously debatable. I think uh, so. The one that I would consider to be the first official sequel would be the rescuers down under but you could be argued again that this is a sequel i, I will say I, i'm pretty sure that most places do show um rescuers down under as the first sequel yeah so uh, but again because of the fact that these are package films it's really the loose narrative that brings them all together mm-hmm. that uses those those similar persons and and when you're talking about it in those terms the loose narrative is not connected because we have Donald's birthday following up animators taking a field trip. I guess that's true. Like it's almost a, it would be a sequel to one segment of the film, mm-hmm. not the film itself. So that's a good way to look at that. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps keep the narrative that's in my head true. <laughs> <laughs> one more little thing for me. Just <laughs> I had a fun little realization. We talked a little bit ago about um, the continuing appearances of jose and panchito through the years and both of them have lost a signature accessory (laughs) oh i i know which one you're talking about i don't even i don't even know obviously panchito is no longer shown with firearms Mm -hmm. because we don't want to talk about uh, guns with kids and then um uh, jose jose doesn't have his cigar jose has lost his cigar Uh, and in fact apparently they tried at one point to edit the cigars out of one of the movies <laughs> but now on disney plus it just says uh oh, parent advisory tobacco use or something yeah like yeah time specific tobacco use like mm-hmm. i mean obviously you and i know back in the 40s and 50s it was a lot more culturally normal to to smoke we didn't have as many issues with it today that we do today exactly all right so i I've said what I only wanted to say. Do you have any uh, uh, closing thoughts? See, this package era is, it's kind of of a bittersweet time for us in this podcast. Number one, we're doing double features. So we're, we're having to do double the work, uh, double the movies. But, but also there's just, you know, it's, it's again, it's a mixture of shorts and we have to, we have to look at it that way. You know, that it's, you know, they're not full narrative features the closest thing that we ever come to is later on when there's like only two cartoon segments or something like that in a movie but disney was involved in the war effort in world war ii and this was just so they could continue to put out product and not let their animators lose steam and still keep a cash flow coming into the studio right yeah and so you know, am I going to absolutely enjoy every single one of these movies? Not necessarily. I think I I have to go in knowing what what the the background of this is. And so these are these are not bad. I feel like some of our future ones might be a little more disjointed and a lot more of maybe not necessarily a cohesive experience. And so we'll definitely see. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be it for this week of Brothers Watching Disney. Next time, we are going to be looking at two more of the package films, 1946's Make Mine Music and 1947's Fun and Fancy Free. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed what we've said today, make sure you subscribe. There are so many more Disney movies for us to go through. Hopefully we can give you some insight into these. We'll join us next time. 